Thank you. Namaste, James. Namaste to everyone. The word integrate can be understood in several ways. <clears throat> the most common meaning is to make something one. Something which is other than myself to make it one with myself. But ordinarily, the way we try to integrate is by absorbing and finishing the other. It's almost like in a mass, how do we integrate? By indoctrination. So by indoctrination, after a time, the person takes up, picks up all the habits, characters, thought, pattern of life. And that he is integrated, like for instance in the armed forces, that is the method adopted and there probably it is necessary to an extent. So this kind of integration is done by taking away the will, free will of an individual, the, the apparent free will. But this is not what we mean by integration. What we mean by integration is a harmonious synthesis of all the different strands of our nature all the divergent activities, all the various needs that continue to exist within us and finally to integrate with the world around, with creation and eventually with the creator. So at least there are three, uh, three levels, if I may say so, at which we integrate and uh, the most common, the most uh, important one is to integrate within. So let's just look at it. The next is to integrate with the world. Because if we have not uh, integrated ourselves within, we cannot integrate with the world. Because the world is a reflection of ourselves, a mirror of ourselves. And also because the world in a miniature way exists within us. There is a very beautiful saying in the Upanishad, pregnant with very deep meaning. And that is within the pind there is the Brahmand. Within us is the whole universe. So if we have not integrated things within ourselves, invariably we will see, we will be at conflict with the world around in various ways at various levels. And then finally, the ultimate source of integration is the divine himself, the creator. So the first aspect is how to integrate ourselves. And for that, we have to find the true center of our being, which many of us already know, we must be conversant with the term, the psychic being, the soul within but ordinarily it is not accessible to us. Ordinarily what we call as ourselves is a surface um, conglomeration of habits, patterns of behavior, thoughts, feelings, impulses, wishes, desires. And they are all jostling in and out of what we call as ourselves. And this ourselves is nothing else but the surface personality, a temporary structure created by the ego. So this is what we normally try to balance out these different aspects which are moving us on the surface and we think that is what integration is. But as we all know that even whatever the need for sats of our life, deep within there are fissures and chasms, abysses, unfulfilled gaping gulfs and as a consequence a proneness towards misery, suffering, a constant state of inner conflict within and as a result conflict outside. So in a way we can say that true integration will bring deep lasting happiness because whatever is not integrated will invariably be a source of conflict within us and every time that element appears within us or outside us it will tend to create a state of 
dissonance which leads to disharmony and unhappiness so true integration is also the road to true health it is also the road to true happiness so this is the basic understanding of um, integration also it's it's a harmonious synthesis so each of these elements they do not lose their uh, you know individuality or they do not lose their own activity or function they are put in a harmonious unity with the whole it's like the stars in space when we look at it so though they look very chaotic but when we keep on zooming we discover that they are part of a large um, you know milky way and that is so beautiful arranged in such a pattern so thus if we look at life from the micro section micro details some people uh, start you know micro tuning Uh, their life in small details but that's not the path to integration first thing is to find the center and as i said the center has to be either the creator or some element of the creator within us but that is a long journey so we'll touch upon it later but first thing that is easily accessible to us are these three thought feelings desires behind all these there is something else but we'll talk about that later obviously to build a kind of integrate around desires some people try to do that they make desire as the way of life the goal of life they believe that through desire they will get happiness and they try to integrate their life around desires meaning thereby they try to live according to the law of desires so whatever gives them instant gratification and happiness they try to keep in their life and the rest they try to um, you know leave out so this obviously cannot um, uh, you know create a kind of harmonious synthesis and such a life ultimately is a life of depravity because it excludes some of the finest elements of human life thought for instance feelings it excludes all of them that's why human beings who live only for desires for instant gratification they eventually become prone more and more to anger dissatisfaction disappointment uh, momentary thrills pleasures and pleasure and its offshoot pain and therefore their life goes down because they miss out on some of the most beautiful fundamental aspects of human life so next to that what else we can build a ground on feelings now feelings are higher than desires they are definitely greater than ambition i am using the word ambition as part of the extension of the desire self so um, then we have feelings now feelings on the surface it's very difficult to integrate through the feelings because feelings are dependent on the surface to so many kinds of inputs that come from outside sensory reaction responses what somebody said what somebody didn't say how somebody responded reacted so all these surface feelings are constantly in on shifting grounds and we cannot integrate anything on a ground that itself is shifting if we observe ourselves carefully we'll see that from morning till evening our feelings are shifting and um, sometimes so strange that morning one gives a nice good morning message uh, and with the same person in the afternoon evening somebody whom one has said that you know you are the most wonderful person and in the <laughs> evening you know one is wondering <laughs> you are <laughs> you are the needle in my eye <laughs> from the sinusure so feelings are shifting grounds on the surface of course if we go into the depth of feeling we can find a key to integration and we are not yet you know speaking of the depths because that's uh, some a journey we'll undertake and the third level at which we can integrate is 
thought or mind. Now, in ordinary surface life of man, thought is given to us to integrate. It is something because man is a mental being, as uh, you know, Shubhendra puts it, mana prana sharineta. He is the leader of the human march. As of now, before we find the soul, before we go deeper. At least at the level of thought, we can integrate. So the first attempt uh, we should have is to discover that thought around which we can integrate. So let us study a little bit about thought. So what are the thoughts that occur to us? Where do they come from? When you look at thoughts, we'll see most of the thoughts arise as response to sensory events. Take for example, if we a mother gives this example, another example also. Supposing one one is you know feeling hot and you know it's it's summer and then one has to go out because it's uh, very hot and one yet one has to go out for work. So when one goes out, one begins to feel oh it's so hot it's such a nuisance. Uh, of course, she gives a very beautiful remedy. She says makes friend with the sun. Same thing happens when you have rain, but. Initially, and then a whole day, we are all the time contemplating upon that. So, one of the things that happens is when we try to pick up a thought, we will see that most of the thoughts in us are driven by the senses and sensations. Then there is another kind of thought which is not a activity of sensation, but which is basically a thought originating from desires. So, if we look at ourselves from day to evening. We'll see that a lot of thoughts are coming from this desire, that desire, and uh, out of desire it builds a rainbow-colored uh, things. And these desires themselves come from outside. You know, like when we um, are sitting by ourselves, and we really one day we have to just contemplate. One day it won't require much. What is it that I truly desire? And the result of that contemplation will be that actually nothing. It's very very strange. One day sincere contemplation, and at the end of it we'll wake up. It doesn't require long time, and the vidha bodhi that really speaking we need nothing. So we'll see that these desires are coming out of habits and associations, because people are desiring things. Again, it's coming from the collective suggestion, from the environment, from childhood, from heredity. We are made to believe that we need this, we must have this, we must have that. I'll give an example. So most of us believe when we have some money that we need a vehicle. So uh, I, I I had this quirk trait. I thought, ki why do you need a vehicle? If you buy a car, say for example, you basically buy a car because it's going to rain. So it helps you in in rain, and there is a bit of comfort comfort zone for you. But look at it that when you buy a car and when you maintain a car, it's quite a bit. Uh, you know, you need to then for the maintenance earn money and everything. So I had a novel solution in my mind that uh, you can uh, hire an auto who is who is always ready, or even if you don't hire an auto, you can always call a cab whenever you need need for it, and it's a very simple solution. And then I found a person actually applying this solution in his life. He was a very well known. He's a film actor, and he's also a very top psychiatrist. And uh, apart from that, he is well known in dramatic circles. And uh, he, this was his way of life. So he had just kept an auto rickshaw with a driver. So <laughs> I mean, and he would move around. And very well-known actor, done very well. I mean, uh, one of my teachers. So I won't uh, take his name, but uh, I found this an amazing quality. Now this uh, this means that instead of accepting things habitually, just because everybody believes in it, so very often we'll see that our thoughts are governed by. What everybody believes in it, because there is a comfort that if everybody believes in it, this has to be true, 
or sometimes because we accept things coming from an outer authority then we believe because it's coming from an outer authority then it must be true but if we lead life like that then always the center of synthesis will be outside and there is no way we can integrate because if we start living according to an external authority even a book or anything for that matter then we cannot really uh, integrate because there are so many aspects of life that's why one of the beautiful things about shurbindo which many people don't uh, really understand is they say that uh, where is the path where is the path <laughs> so they want to look for some standard practices and shurbindo would not tell us like that it's not like patanjali's yoga sutra and the eightfold path it doesn't say that and many people feel it uh, very disorienting but actually what has happened is he has given us all the fundamental truths and principles and then let us walk the path because the actual journey is in real time it's not a journey where you have some fixed practices and processes so it becomes like if one has to use uh, shubindo's own um, word he would say the path is everywhere so it's not about this practice or that practice so eventually when it is said the path is everywhere means you have to consult ourselves within so thought must be Uh, analyzed and we must reflect upon in every aspect of human life every aspect we must lay it bare open with ruthless sincerity and try to see its own truth and understand its own truth let's take some of the thoughts we must respect the elders this is one of the thoughts that is very prevalent and i'm sorry elders may find it very uncomfortable but this question should be raised why must we accept the elders now when we look at the gita <laughs> this is precisely shri krishna is telling arjuna that why are you just blindly following what you know everybody is saying it starts from there that all the prevalent thoughts ideas i must respect the elders my family everything no it is something we have to make a choice and the mother goes on to say that you have to choose even your family see we take it that this is my family but what really is family is family simply because there is a family tree and a blood connection or is family a deeper soul connection a common aspiration and then when we start looking at uh, life and things everything uh, relationship marriage one of the commonest uh, uh, you know things that happen in people's life that why marriage is necessary what really is marriage what is childbirth then we don't actually have to read anything all the answers we'll find inside all the answers like people you often speak about renunciation and very big words and there are big talks upon that and after a good lecture on renunciation the i is on the you know the money which will come in the hundi but um, actually what is renunciation uh, this word has no meaning if you really re- reflect upon it reflect upon it as to what really i need the mother gives this example and she says at the end of the day if you really reflect sincerely <laughs> you will say uh, she gives the example of um, a group of friend so they said uh, well actually you know you'd need very few things in life maybe a toothbrush so mother says he had not come to india otherwise he would have said that probably you don't need that and when you look at life around it one will discover so many things just by this ability to reflect to contemplate for example it was very interesting i'll give you all the time one can experience this just taking a walk there were some people who were in you know 
saffron clothes and it was very interesting to see them so while i was going i saw one person you know sitting in meditation they were just on the road side somewhere sleeping somewhere then when i was returning suddenly he was all excited about some whatsapp song going on everybody had a nice cell phone so this is not to judge but this is that human nature so what do we observe from that that's how human nature is you don't change it by simply coloring or dressing yourself so when we look at human life we understand that we carry within us many 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 different parts and the first thing is to understand each and every thought that we regard as our own we must analyze reflect and then accept it this is the first step towards creating a synthesis and i'm not saying something of course i have done it from childhood uh, which will which creates a very uncomfortable situation sometimes with uh, every member of the family but this is what the mother explains very beautifully in one of her early writings um conversations on thought those who want to read it that everything must be thought over and much later she would say we do many things just mechanically do you know why you are doing it so it is a step towards becoming conscious when we are not even conscious for instance just uh, sometime back i was um, you see when we judge people we judge by appearances oh the person is very nice but human beings have developed mastered the art of deception the mind has mastered the art of deception and you realize that it's not about appearances at all but something else that we need to see so this is how our surface life is led all the time with all the various thought currents criss crossing multiplying cancelling each other and the first thing which is accessible to us is thought and in thought we will see that there are many many opinions that we carry and these opinions are nothing but dumped upon us through the Uh, collective consciousness what we call as society sometimes it's so strange you know i'll i'll share some real example real life example i met somebody you know one lady who was uh, you know married and then uh, husband usual 8 to 9 not morning at morning 8 to night 9 uh, very busy and then she felt neglected and ignored then you know she strayed and straight into even you know uh, going into drinking smoking various kind of activities now when when this came to light then everybody discarded her her own family members saying that you know you are a sinner papan so she came she was in a state of naturally depressed and all this and all kinds of medicines were being given to her for depression so she asked me this question that and the same thing i got a message from all family members you know please tell her to be good with her husband <laughs> good to her husband she should take care he is a very nice person and she is saying you know he is a abil- ability to impress everyone which i understand that you know because you are one thing with your partner you can be very different with the world outside so then she asked that am i really a sinner i said no the, the sinners are they who call you a sinner because because when you really look at life of a person she she not developed that way she had no you know she didn't know what is the option and she tried to escape from a stifling prison house where would she go she has no direction so she went into the ditch but this instead of that she could have escaped and 
climbed upward. This is only mistake. This is not even a mistake because the world forces, the grip of world forces today is such that if you try to escape from a prison, invariably they are waiting. That's why these prisons and social uh, environments were created so that we don't, uh, as Shubhendra says, it restrains in us the titan and the god. It was so that life can move within boundaries. Unfortunately, the prison was only for the woman. For the man, he was supposed to be the bell. What is called bullock, bull, who can move around like anything. So this prison house, when we come out, then immediately we are grabbed by the world forces. Now we understand that what was really happening. Then we can find a way. So it's not that these things are required. But because of the danger, inherent danger, that there will be a pulling down, there were, there were these prison houses erected. But when we understand this, then we know that it is not a prison which is required, but education which is required and upliftment which is required. Because prison doesn't change us. All the comforts were provided, which is what the situation of, you know, a simple thing like women in India. You'll often hear that people say, Ki, no, 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 it is important. Otherwise, society will disintegrate. No, society will not disintegrate if they get the freedom. Society will disintegrate if we don't give them the understanding that, not only them, all of us, the understanding that what is the true purpose of life. So when you come out of the prison, all of us must come out one day of the prison. We learn that there is a vastness of the sky above and we must move upward. So this is how we must pick up each thought, each idea that is prevalent. Each and every idea. Whether it be an idea of the dress we wear, whether everything should be accepted. For example, I mean, um, reflected and then accepted. Take for instance vegetarianism. Many people are vegetarians because it's their family custom that they are vegetarians. So they are very proud that, you know, we are always vegetarians. So sometimes uh, humorously I have asked them, but you, you take human blood, isn't it? So, <laughs> no, no, don't say like that. I said, but you see, when you hurt people, you make them... Uh, their blood is dried because you are constantly <laughs> barbing them. Aren't you doing it? You are burning blood inside their <laughs> body. So basically, the, the point is that everything, every aspect of life, we must so Vegetarianism itself must be rationally thought out. And how to think about the highest reason that we can command. For example, reason also can be very elementary. Take for example this idea of vegetarianism. So reason can be that, well... We don't want to eat uh, things which are living. Now then what do you do? You will ultimately eat only salt and sugar. Uh, sugar is also extracted from something which is living, sugar cane. So there are people who go to absurd extent. So it's not about that. So when we just reflect upon a single idea like vegetarianism, it's deeper reason. Then we will discover many things. This one single reflection will change our life. Now I'm not going into how I created my own uh, you know, understanding about vegetarian. So everything must be the result of a conscious choice. It should not be something enforced. It should not be something... See, that is the big gain of today's time that at least, uh, at least what the democratic societies are meant to propagate is that you have your choice. Now, there are certain things where you can't exercise your choice, where you are consciously going and killing somebody or trying to harm someone willfully, trying to do injury. But otherwise you have your choices. Why? Because through choices we evolve. When we take away the choices, and this is one way of taking away choices, that we uh, just accept whatever the society has said and then we have no real free will or choice. I am not entering into the debate of whether we have a free will or not. That's a different discussion. But these choices are given to man so that he can evolve further. So once we have this highest thought, around us, then automatically the rest of the members must begin to fall in place. 
For instance, if we have the highest thought that respect must be to the one who dis, you know deserves it by virtue of knowledge, true knowledge, by virtue of his you know genuineness of behavior, by virtue of his life and its conduct, and not because of age. Then what happens? Then it is not like just because somebody is uh, you know m- more in age, I must touch the feet. No, he may be a bhishpitama, but I need not touch his feet. But he may be just a little child and the babble of a child may communicate a thought of God. See, it's very interesting. Uh, it is said in the Bible that, or somewhere it is said that, you know, the babble of a child conveying the thought of God. So how is it possible? Now just reflect a little upon this idea. So how it is possible? A child cannot think. How can the babble reflect? Now it is precisely because the child cannot form the thoughts. The child did not reach it. The child has a plasticity which elders lack. I remember the story of uh, Sagar Manthan uh, recounting to my son when he was five year old. And one day when uh, her granny was in the house and she was talking uh, with his mom, uh, his granny, uh, he was talking with uh, his mom about some saris. And <laughs> suddenly this boy was playing, suddenly turns back and asks her, uh, Nani, you want Mohini or you want Amrit? <laughs> now, here is unique application, which in a way is correct that, you know, in life we have a choice between the transient and the eternal. Often people ask this, why am I suffering? You see, simple thing, again, uh, how important it is to have a very organized way of understanding things by reflecting upon that. Often we get uh, such things. Somebody asks that, you know, my parent was a big devotee and then, you know, uh, he died, he died suddenly at 70s or died of this reason, that reason. So people often feel that, uh, you know, it shouldn't have happened. So you have to raise a question that is it like a devotee should never die or would never die? Uh, what really determines death? So we have the story of the Buddha. When somebody asked Buddha, you are God. He said, well, if, if you believe so, so can you revive the dead? He said, if you believe so. So, my father is dead. Can you revive? He said, yes, go to every house and find out. Uh, you get five grains of rice from five houses uh, where nobody has died ever. So, he says, oh, simple. Goes out and says, somebody or the other has died. Now, this was his way of explaining that death is not coming as a unique something to one person's life. See, that is how the Gita starts. That, you know, Arjuna, what are you thinking? As if death has never happened to anybody in the planet. And if you believe that, you know, we are nothing but dust, then why are you worried about death? Because there is really nothing. But if you believe that there is an immortal element, then why are you worried about death? So this is how we must try to pick up the highest thought um, and create a synthesis. Second aspect is that what is the highest idea within us? This is something we have to discover. It's a wonderful discovery. So what is the highest idea within us? So most people are not aware of that. If you ask people, it, uh, it is actually the highest uh, idea is a intellectual representation of something deep within. That deep within is will and faith. And if you go still deeper than will and faith, it is love. So that is the highest idea. By love, I mean that what is it deep inside that we most really love to do? What is it that, you know, we are deeply... Uh, from the core, we feel um, not just passionate about, but we feel like our entire being should flow into this activity. So this is something we have to discover by interiorization 
and we discovered that in each of us there is a will and a faith to be. This will and, a f- and faith to be is described in the Gita as Swadharma and the Gita goes on to say so beautifully that a man is his faith. Whatever our faith and will to be is that we become. See, it's something so amazing. So we are all the time busy with the surface where we pick up things. Uh, sometimes we indulge uh, in a very, you know, both ways we indulge. Oh, I am somebody very great, someone very special. If we really look at ourselves, who are really we? It doesn't require a deep meditation to one day get up and say the ego is dead. <laughs> it just requires some basic thinking <laughs> to understand. The body is not mine. It is the result of a, you know, genes, heredity and all my papa mama's gift <laughs> good or bad <laughs> what about my thoughts most most of it is given by parents environment teachers society same with feeling desires i'm sharing everything that is all around so we pick up a heap of sunlight try to capture it in our hands and say this is my piece of sun there is nothing like that so it doesn't really require a great uh, understanding to, under, to understand that that which we call as ourselves is really nothing but a construct. And when we understand that it's a construct, then we should embark on the journey of self-discovery. And this self-discovery meets us first of all as the faith and will to be. So I can, I can give an example. Very often, you know, because gone through this process, that's why I'm giving these examples. So once somebody came and asked that, you know, Knowing that there is a spiritual seeking, so people want to draw you into their folds. You know, everybody believes that somehow, even in spirituality, people find comfort in numbers, which is the most absurd thing. Because if you have too many followers, then start suspecting what's wrong. Because too many people will go either where Michael Jackson is dancing, or there is a mega Shahrukh Khan show, or you are being promised uh, miraculous things that come and they will be hallelujah and you will get cured. Those are the kind of absurd places where many, many people go, where there is some desired satisfaction. But any genuine place where there is a true yagna, change of consciousness, for example, or a yoga in real earnest, will not draw many people. So, But people have this idea that whoever has a little spiritual seeking, bring him into the fold. They even have this tendency. So I remember long back, must be in early 20s, but I come in touch with Sherbindo and someone trying to convince me, why don't you follow this path? This is better. That is better. All kind of calculation logic. I said, but Baba, that's not my goal. What do you mean by goal? So I said, what is your goal? He said, Mukti. I said, that's what you have just gathered from everywhere around. No, no, no. You know this Janam Karam Ka Fera. So then I started my questioning. Uh, the argumentative Indian at his best. <laughs> I said, who created this Janam Karam Ka Fera? He said, this is the law of nature. I said, who made this law? Oh, God made this law. I said, such a God who made this uh, blind cycle in which you are thrust without your choice, suddenly says, I'm sorry, son, it happened by mistake. Now I'll lend a helping hand and you come out of it. So this is so absurd. I mean, how can you love such a God? So... Then when you say this is not what I want. So even in spiritual life, people have this vague idea. Everything is spiritual, everything is the same. But if you look at Sanatana Dharma, that is something very beautiful about Sanatana Dharma. It's so universal. Can we imagine you can pursue God by pursuing science? <laughs> it is something so strange. So how we can pursue God by pursuing science? Because when we are in search of truth, if we pursue science, not because of any superficial reason but in pursuit of truth we will touch God 
take the recent example of the virus i am taking this example just to cover a broad spectrum of thing so what happens in the virus so everybody has stock standard thing that this virus this is outer structure spikes uh, rna all these things are going on but we have never raised the question what is behind this now the moment we raise this question we are pushing the inquiry one step deeper now if science goes into that then it will discover a marvelous world of teeming with vibrations energies forces and then we will have a much better simple way to manipulate these things for example how does a spiritual person really heal oneself he doesn't heal this way that okay there is i am i am you know this virus has come and entered my Uh, body what do i do so i'll take this medicine and i'll get cured he doesn't he understand that vibrance is a vibration of disorder see if you look at indian thought that's how it looked at it sattva rajo tamaguna so there are forces of tamaguna when we look at it like this how life can become simple what is tamaguna tamaguna is a guna which leads toward disintegration so when does tamaguna enter tamaguna become active either when we are very inactive when we are very lazy then a lower kind of rajogun also can create a disturbance and imbalance it's like a very turbulent wave so how does the lower kind of rajogun enter when we are in a state of excitement anger all these things and then there are higher and higher and satguna balancing and order and harmony so in any illness at the end of the day it is a vibration of disorder it is so simple so what do we do bring into it a vibration of harmony and order that is how mantras help and heal it is not because there is sacro sang that only this mantra i will do but when we do a mantra which contains within it a beautiful harmonious rhythm just to play it in the environment atmosphere <coughs> or sometimes simply have you have you heard how mothers uh, when the child is sick how, what do they say i mean i i remember it acts like a mantra don't worry sab theek ho jayega ram ji hai na bhagwan hai na you know this words were so soothing you are instantly so you feel so safe so secure and you get well why because fortunately you don't know this kind of superficial science but through science we can arrive at the discovery of the divine because he is in everything through art we can arrive at the discovery of the divine now when we take this vast approach then we don't use the division between spiritual life and material life very often you know people say i don't have time for spiritual life you don't need time you need attitude and orientation so when we start looking within that point of integration within ourselves we will see what is our will and faith to be faith and will to be then we'll discover it manifesting to our intellectual mind as a central thought for instance this thought could be knowledge let's pick up one example one wants to know knowledge so where do i find knowledge now do i find knowledge in books certainly not books are well they are still knowledge <laughs> they are they can open a door to knowledge they can take us to the doorsteps of knowledge but books will not give us knowledge they will take us to the doorsteps you have to enter that is how shirbindo says in synthesis and shri krishna in the gita shabd brahmati vartate some people are very happy playing with uh, you know uh, scholarly intellectual stuff they read a book and they start saying you know this is all maya that is brahman Uh, you neither know maya nor know brahman and you know one is playing with thoughts which are picked up from books experience what this maya is experience what this brahman is so books will take us to the doorsteps not beyond but we can reach that point even without any book 
See, there is a wonderful description of Satyavan in Savitri in one line. The Veda knower of the unwritten book. So what is this unwritten book? So in the entire creation we can see knowledge. Here knowledge is blooming as a flower. Their knowledge is shining in the sun. Their knowledge is steady in the root of the hills. Their knowledge is flowing as the river, purifying, washing everything, carrying to the coast of the sea. Their knowledge is guiding in the night as multiple stars. And their knowledge is shining as resplendent moon. So when we look at life from the eye of knowledge, we will see that there is, there is a knowledge hidden in everything. What really is this knowledge? This knowledge is awareness as awareness of that ultimate reality which is expressing itself. So when we look at a flower, what do we really see? We see the form, we feel the fragrance, but we can go deep inside and discover the unformed beauty. So beauty is an aspect of the truth. So everything, even a grain of sand, see that famous line of William Blake, eternity in a grain of sand. This is, uh, this is how knowledge, if you pick up knowledge, we have to discover it everywhere because the book of knowledge is everywhere. It is not confined to some particular, uh, you know, ideology, religion. This has been the big bane of religion. That's why religions are foredoomed to uh, die. For example, God. We want to know about God. Now, where is God? So, we habitually go to the temple we or to the mosque or to the churches. Gurudwara and we pick up a book and we do pranam and you know, we say God is here. So by default, is he only here? <laughs> no, no, no. He's, everybody will say he's everywhere. But he will say, but uh, you know, it's like universal brotherhood I believe. But only those who believe in my religion. It is so absurd and people believe it. Why? Because they have never cared to give us, reflect even a little bit about the thought of God. Where is God? Where is he not there? Isn't he everywhere? So if he is everywhere, is he not within me? Yes, of course. Look at it logically. So then what is this body? It is the temple of the Lord. So if it is the temple of the Lord, should I take care of it in the proper way or not? What do we allow within a temple or not? So we will ourselves know that if this is the temple of the Lord, how we should keep the body and take care of it. What forces we should allow it to flow. The entire yoga can be discovered simply by this one thought that God is within us. And imagine if this idea goes into that everybody has God within. How will our dealings with others change? Automatically. We'll think twice before hurting someone. Huh? Oh, <laughs> no. Sometimes we'll see, if we are not rigid, that God speaks even through the opponent. Somebody who is your opponent. Suddenly, if we are plastic and supple, he will seize the person's mouth and speech and the brain and use it to express something which actually God wants to convey but through your... <laughs> Seeming enemy. So this is how when we start looking at life, we understand that all over, similarly we pay, take up love or we take up beauty. Where is beauty? Is it only in a form? Form is what? Is it just something outer figure or is there form also in action? So we don't have to teach people manners, how you should be, how you should not be. Every action, every gesture should be beautiful. We'll discover beauty in the man who stands up for what he believes in because there is something very beautiful about it he has the courage as mother says you know they, it needs it's beautiful heroic action 
what it stands you know it has the courage to stand for what it believes in so when we look at beauty then we begin to discover beauty of speech beauty of not just surroundings beauty of thought beauty of feelings we worship the god of beauty or the highest of all i mean as far as i am concerned love so what really is love where is it not then we discover that this love is woven the stars everything in this creation is an act of love the stars and the dust below my feet are all connected in that web we cannot even see or fathom science is just catching an outer glimpse of what this web of love it uses the word interconnectedness attractions attachments are all its ignorant misrepresentations but there is a truth behind it the truth is the truth of love when we allow that to emerge then this can drop off otherwise it has to be there so there are some people who say i must practice detachment and become very indifferent so this integration is not isolating things integration is to pick up everything and make it part of a vast synthesis and for that we must pick up the highest thought within us and then finally all these countless aspects of life how are we to weave them together in a wonderful garland and that's where we have to see that we have to pick up that which is still deeper deeper than our own core our own core is faith and will to be in a certain way but there is something still deeper and that's what we see geeta at the climax it speaks about swadharma it tells arjuna that you focus on what your inner being inspires you what is your inspiration as a kshatriya you must fulfill this work not as a duty but because you are moved to do it but uh, at the same time at the end it cautions arjuna it says sarv dharman parityajya mamikam shanamraja so for you this is the truth but for everybody god is moving differently so that is the beauty that's how we can reconcile the nar and the narayana i mean there are many ways we can understand nar narayana fable but one way is nar is the individual and narayana is the one who dwells in the individual so he is everywhere so individual is the vyakti and narayana is samasti so while i have to act on the truth of my being everybody has equally a right to act on the truth of their being that is the principle of true democracy not merely voting rights i live by my truth this not that it is the highest or best but for me this is given to me but for somebody else see arjuna his highest truth is to be an instrument of god in this massacre which is going to take place but for buddha that's not the truth shri krishna would never tell buddha come you are running away from your duty <laughs> he would not tell shri ramakrishna that you know what are you doing he would rather tell them seek what you are doing so for shri ramakrishna for buddha this was the truth that they pursued so one has to go deep within and discover what moves one deep within the faith and the will to be all else is a crust ultimately that is what we have to bring out in life and with its glow irradiate all the corners of our life they must slowly slowly not forcibly when people try to discipline themselves forcibly it's not about force discipline i am my will to be to you know to be an instrument of god and i must push <laughs> everything no it doesn't work like that because every part has to be picked up and ennobled every part has the potential to become an instrument of god so every aspect of our existence can be ennobled can be refined right down to the lowest what we call as a base element 
And finally, let's take that common example. For example, I mean, since um, before we conclude, one of the commonest commonest mistakes people say is that in life we want happiness. So they will say, "What is all this about integration? We don't care. Happiness is the need." But can we really be happy without integration? So, what really is happiness? When we try to look at it, often I raise this question: What kind of happiness we want? Temporary happiness, superficial happiness, or lasting happiness? Choice is obvious. No, oh, I want a happiness that would last. Okay, you want uh, that very diluted version of happiness or pure spirit? <laughs> so, ultimate happiness. So then you have to go through that phase. If you are clinging to this, you can't have that. Every see. So when it is said, "Tene taktein bhunjita," by renouncing, it is not renunciation for the sake of renunciation. See the difference. Some people renounce and make it a great matter of great pride. So when they are coming into sabhas, see a great renunciate. He has renounced everything, oh, except the ego. So, <laughs> but look at when we renounce the lesser, it is for the sake of the greater. Not that we want the greater. So when we renounce pleasure, we will experience a state of inner happiness. When we renounce happiness, we discover a state of felicity which comes from the soul. Happiness is something which comes from the mind. Sattvic person. What does a sattvic person do? He renounces the pleasure because he understands that pleasure is not the path. So practice moderation. <coughs> because of moderation, he lives in a state of happiness. And you say this is not enough. So when he renounces happiness, uh, sukham, then he discovers the felicity which springs from the soul. And when he renounces even these, meaning thereby he is not wanting to live only in his soul for the joy of the soul, but to become an instrument of the divine. Then he experiences successively uh, bliss and ecstasy. So this is a constant process of uh, ascension. So what um, uh, we mean is that. Whatever be the degree of integration and synthesis in our life, we must know it is temporary. Never make it permanent. Some people make things permanent and then become activists, like you know, very aggressive. I have seen people who become all organics. So yeah, <laughs> so they almost fight with you. You know, if they come to know you are eating milk, and uh, sometimes they ask them, "Are you proselytizing <laughs> or with evangelistic fervor?" How are you eating milk or milk products? I mean, this one kind of that mentality is the same. For somebody, it may be fine, but you know, let. So we must understand that this is a temporary structure. Whatever synthesis and integration, it is a temporary structure. If it helps us move further, fine. If it helps us become one, but the moment a new thing will come in life, it will change everything. And with that, I would end. We may take. You know, before we turn to the divine, many of us, we, I mean, at least some of us, who have really experienced and tried this kind of synthesis, what do we live by? by a certain kind of ideal. So, an ideal is the light with which we live, and we are not ready to compromise our ideal for anything. It could be an ideal of justice. It could be an ideal of truth, honesty, whatever. Lower down than ideals is principles. Principles are ideals taking a shadowy form. Principles are something external without knowing the basis within it. But when we know the basis, then it's an ideal. But there is a truth greater than the ideal. What if the divine consciousness demanded us to give this ideal in His hands and be liberated even from the mental prison, the highest, the best mental prison, the ideal? 
Should we do it or not do it? Sri answer is, the Gita's answer is, we must do it. And that's what we see in Sri that his highest ideal at the point of time was to live for the country, to do everything for the sake of the country. Even God was for the sake of country. But when Sri Krishna comes, Vasudev and tells him, there is something greater I have planned for you. Would you be willing to leave this? Without a second thought, Shubindu drops it and goes. Till date, people don't understand. So many of them pursued him. Come back, take this position in the, uh, you know, the National Congress and all this. Lead the country. The country needs you. But for him, it was the divine command. Because he had discovered something greater than all mental ideals. So as long as we know that this synthesis is insufficient, it's sufficient for the moment, but it's insufficient or temporary, then we keep on progressing further. But if you make it as permanent, then that same thing which was very helpful becomes very rigid for future times to come. Okay, thank you. Thank you.